Greg, how are you? Welcome to Endurance Minded. Yeah, Taylor, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, super excited to have you on the show. Um, your your expertise is uh, is 100% uh, in alignment with, uh, with why Endurance Minded exists and, um, and the, the things that are near and dear to my heart in terms of, you know, mental performance and, and helping athletes excel um, in, in all areas of their athleticism, not just or, or over and above, you know, their physical performance. And we know that so much of that mm-hmm. physical performance is, uh, is tied into and linked to the mental performance. And so I can't, uh, I can't wait to, to dive in and, and uh, get to, uh, Get, get down into the uh, to the thick of some of these some of these concepts that I that I that I'm passionate about and, and you're an expert on. Hey everyone, uh, before we dive into this episode, I want to take a moment to tell you about Inside Tracker. As I've talked about at length on the show, my passion is helping individuals discover the tools, resources, and relationships they need to reach their full potential. It's about more than just getting fit or being in shape for one race. It's about realizing the value in the lifetime pursuit of dedicating yourself to become the best version of you that you can be. So no matter what you love, whether it's running, riding your bike, racing, or just getting out and enjoy the great outdoors, you want to do it forever. That's where Inside Tracker can help. As a lifelong athlete who's done everything under the sun, I've gotten blood work done many, many times over the years, and it's always provided critical information. Even when I was feeling great and training hard, my blood work uncovered critical deficits such as low vitamin D and elevated iron. Despite how your training is going or how you're feeling, Inside Tracker helps to uncover specific, individual, and actionable insights that allow you to not only perform better, but feel better and be healthier. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then, Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. So, endurance-minded listeners can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded to take advantage of 25% off of the entire Inside Tracker store. Being an athlete is about more than just completing the right workouts. So visit info.insidetracker.com slash endurance-minded today to start taking a proactive approach to understanding what your body needs to perform better and live longer. Before we dive in, maybe take us back to, uh, to your youth and uh, how, how, you, how you built yourself to, uh, to where you're at now. Oh, wow. That's a big open-ended question. I could take an hour just on that, but you, you would turn into my therapist on that, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I grew up an only child. Um, you know, my dad worked away um, two weeks on, two weeks off. And so a lot of times it was just my mom and I, and then my parents got divorced. So essentially I was only child, uh, raised by a single mom. And, um, you know, I 
kind of raised myself in a way. There was an old school term called latchkey kid, you know, and that's the kid that had the key, the lock to the key uh, or the key to the lock of home around their neck. And I let myself in after school and mom wasn't home till eight because she was kind of working three jobs. So there's a degree to which I kind of raised myself. And uh, there was a time when that was maybe a bit wayward, but, uh, um, but I found sport and it was this huge, uh, identity structure component the, that it gave me to make meaning out of my life. And um, I had a few amazing mentors along the way as coaches who kind of really believed in me. And even though I wasn't the best athlete on the pitch or on the, on the basketball court, um, I realized pretty quickly that if I worked harder than everyone else, I could do some pretty cool things. And I always tend to make the team and be a starter and, and have some successes with it. And so I guess later I was able to apply that to life in other ways, whether it's, uh, you know, going back to school and um, to do what I do now or raising kids, that kind of stuff. But my, my whole identity as a youth, as, a, as an athlete was such a prominent foundational thing and I, I'm so glad I had that because my my identity as a sort of a smart kid was pretty low. My self worth as a as a sort of smart kid was pretty low. And so, you know, as a young adult, if you were to ask me if you thought I would ever have a master's degree now in a private counseling practice, I would have laughed. Um, but again, these mentors kind of helped me see that uh, that I was smart and that I just needed to care about what I was learning. And and some point along the way, I volunteered at a camp, happened to be a camp for kids with cancer. And it was just an incredible experience because I learned quite quickly um, about gratitude for life and about um, creating experiences that were purposeful and meaningful. And those kids taught me a lot. And I ended up being with that camp for about seven years. Um, which was quite an indelible experience for me. Um, yeah, at some point along the way, I uh, I graduated with an undergrad, and that was not a diff- an easy road uh, for me. I had gotten kicked out of a university uh, due to academic probation. Uh, I didn't have any family finances to to fall back on, so I had to go get a bunch of jobs and. Um, make my way back to school. And it took me about seven years to get an undergrad. And then I moved to Whistler, Whistler, BC up here in Canada. And it was just a playground for athletics. And and so I started working in ski shops and found mountain biking and mountain bike racing. And, um, and, I, and, and, you know, at some point along the way, thankfully, this identity structure changed, this idea of who I was changed. And so I, the idea of going back to school for a master's degree came up and I managed to get a scholarship to do that, which was unbelievable. Um, and yeah, as a result, uh, I've been in Whistler for the last 27 years and had this private counseling practice going for uh, 17 years. And the bulk of that time also working with uh, doing mental performance consulting with a bunch of high level athletes up here. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I love, um, you know, I mean, everybody loves a good a good uh, underdog story, you know. But I think there's so much <laughs> there's so much value in in I, I think just hearing it from from anybody that we can, you know, someone like yourself who who is in a place that um, where you're doing something that you love, and you know, you've built a, a career around something that 
uh, you're passionate mm-hmm. about. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to be in that place. You know, I think we get so fixated on, on who we're supposed to be quote unquote, or, you know, these, these identities mm-hmm. wrapped around that maybe they're, they're placed on us or, or we, we feel that we should, should be a certain person, you know, and, and you know, whether it's in mm-hmm. athletics or our career or, or academically or whatever. And I, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I always, you know, maybe part of it's kind of the human condition, right? We always want to be somewhere that we're not, right? A lot of times, right? We want to, we want to like mm-hmm. rush to that next step. Mm-hmm. We want to, we want to accelerate the process. We want to, you know, we all want it to. And I mean, you know, kudos to you totally. for, for sticking with it. You know, it's such a great story yeah. and such a such a good reminder. Oh, that, oh thanks. Know, I work with create that story. Yeah, I do work with lots of young adults now, and I always remind them to follow their heart. You know, follow your heart and um, because not everyone knows exactly what they want to be in life. Right. And so you just got to follow your heart because I think the journey, you know, life kind of unfolds before us on the journey, you know. Right. Yeah. You had mentioned mm-hmm. uh, you had mentioned kind of, you know, the, the work ethic associated with with sport. And I mean, do, do you feel like there's the discipline required for athletics you know it has some crossover or or helped you show up in a way that was necessary uh in in other areas of your life oh yes absolutely Uh, absolutely like i think as a young learner elementary school high school even early university um i wasn't super motivated that way i was really motivated with sports i got a lot of and socially, I think I was a well-liked kid. So I liked to be at school because all my friends were there and the sports were there. <clears throat> Excuse me, but it wasn't a particularly t- a time where I was particularly motivated with with the academic side of things. But because again, I mean, and we could dig into this if you want, but I don't want to take too much time away from the podcast. Other people had projected an identity onto me that Greg wasn't smart. So by mm. the time I got to you know, grade 11, grade 12, uh, early university. Uh, well, I didn't even, yeah, I didn't even, couldn't even really get into university. I had to go to like a JUCO, I guess you call it down there because, because my grades weren't, weren't good enough. And, uh, um, but it wasn't until later that I realized that, wait a minute, I decide my identity. Other people can project things onto me all they want, but I get to decide. Yeah. Right. And so that, that work ethic piece well, I, I guess I remember two coaches. One was a coach who was a particular hard ass. And if you were the hardworking kid, I realized quite quick that he was less of a hard ass. So I just I just worked my butt off because I didn't want the guy yelling at me, you know. Um, but I also noticed when that happened, I would be a starter. And this was in box lacrosse and a great sport, real fast sport, lots of skill involved. And if I was working harder than everyone else, I was a starter. And, and then somehow I applied that to basketball and same thing happened. I was not the most talented kid out there, but boy, did it take me a long way. I would, you know, I played for some provincial teams, managed to get a minor scholarship and um, had a lot of fun with basketball and met some lifelong friends that have stuck with me. Um, we've stuck with each other ever since. Um, I guess it was later when I realized that I was smart in the classic sense of the word, I just had to really care about what I was, what I was learning. And also lo and behold, go figure, I had to really invest some work into it. 
Right. And, and again, there were very, some very important mentors along the way that kind of convinced me that I could do that. <clears throat> and, and so when I actually put the effort in to, to schoolwork, similar to what I would do with sport, you know, my grades just did very, very well. And, you know, and obviously I found this, found a master's degree program and excelled in that. It was, it was, it was terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, lo- I love the uh, I love the piece about you know being you have to be excited or you have to be passionate about what you're pursuing. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. I, I see that with athletes as well, where we, you know, so so many people are kind of told or or assume that they should be they should pursue a certain discipline or be a certain type mm-hmm. of athlete, right? Like I think it happens a lot with uh, with running, right? Because that's it's the barrier to entry there is is relatively low, and so. Mm-hmm you know, a lot of new athletes assume that, that that's what they should do if they want to, you know, work towards building um, some sort of fitness or increase um, their endurance or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so like, you don't have to like that, you know, find what you like first, right? Find what you want to engage in. And, mm-hmm. and then it, it, it is much less painful, you know, it comes, um, totally. you know, maybe not naturally, mm-hmm. but certainly you're excited to put that work in. Um, and mm-hmm. that that goes a long way, you know. And so that's I mean that's great. I see so many parallels mm-hmm. there. Like once you once you found mm-hmm. what you're excited about, that identity shift immediately, right? You're or not, you know. I know it wasn't overnight in real totally. time, but um, but you're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. actually not who I am. I just didn't I just didn't care about these other things. <laughs> you know, I just didn't care about the subject yeah. matter. And and the and and the moment I did, like the world unfolds before before you, right? Right. Right. Um. And yeah, so finding joy in what you do, um, having fun, uh, connecting with the people that are alongside you. I think con- connecting with the environment because, mm-hmm. you know, where we're running is kind of special, right? Right. Because uh, when, when you connect with the environment that way and, and the people that are out there, all of a sudden you've got hope, I think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I um... – I mean, I love the language around that too. You know, I think we can, I think language is such an important piece of, of, you know, how we pursue our athletic goals, you know, and, and the narrative mm-hmm. that we, we use and the words we use within that narrative to describe that, that athletic journey, you know, if it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it gets mm-hmm. popularized to, to, you know, grind and, and suffer and, you know, and, and you know, those are kind of hype buzzwords mm-hmm. that people like to think is part, you know, and, and I know it's sexy and, it, you know, it can be fun to grind out a workout. I mean, I like hard workouts as much as the next person, but it's just like not day in and day out, mm-hmm. right? Like we have to come back to joy and I mean, what makes you happy? You know, what, what's, what's mm-hmm. going to be an exciting mm-hmm. thing to engage in when we have the mm-hmm. opportunity, you know, to, to, to be athletes, mm-hmm. right? It's not a, it's not a chore, right? We mm-hmm. get, the, we get the chance, we get the opportunity, mm-hmm. but that language piece, I, yeah. And, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that takes me back to a particular suffer sufferfest moment I was having after I do did one of these Grand Fondo races, and um, up here in Canada, and you know I like to think I'm a strong age grouper, and so what do I do? Line up at the front of the pack, and, you know, and I do. Did I totally deserve to be there? Probably not, if I'm really honest with myself on this particular fall day. But I managed to stay with the pack for about 100 kilometers. You know, there's 20K left. 
and I bonk something huge. I can bear, I'm turning squares on the bike and everyone's passing me. And I mean, everyone, and I got nothing left and my mood just plummeted. And I realized quite quickly that uh, I was really attached to the outcome goal of, you know, arriving with this lead group. Um, I beat myself up about it as if my identity, my self-worth was attached to that outcome. But quite quickly, I was able to shift the narrative. So again, really paying attention to the language we create around these predicaments. I was able to shift my language towards gratitude. Gratitude that I have this body that's capable of riding 120 kilometers in the first place. Um, super beautiful place that we were riding between Vancouver and Whistler. Um, it's like incredible country. Um, and just, yeah, just the gratefulness of being able to accomplish such a feat, uh, outcome be damned, right? And as soon as that happened, my, my mood kind of came back. My optimism kind of came back. Yeah, I limped into the finish line, but a burger and a beer tastes pretty good. And then I, uh, my mood came back uh, in, in, in due time. So yeah, the, the language we create around our experiences has a huge impact on how we feel psychologically, right? Yeah. So literally, literally, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're probably right. Yeah, I love that quote. Yeah, I, I've heard that before. And I, yeah, I mean, you know, I think so much of it, again, is obviously like the, the mental attitude and it's it's what we carry into um mm -hmm. you know it, it down to like a, an individual workout or session right like that and i've, I've always totally. said like i tell my athletes and i like give yourself the opportunity to excel like show up and mm -hmm. and certainly mm -hmm. some days are are not the days um mm -hmm. but um but there could be a chance where you actually, you know, where you shine through. Um, and so, yeah, yeah I, I think uh, I just love that, that idea of like, yeah, have some gratitude for showing up and give yourself a chance, you know, mm -hmm. and see, see what happens. But yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, that intentionality right down to the workout or even right down to the rep in the, in, in the gym you know, Jim Taylor, well-recognized sports psychologist down there in the U.S., he talks about creating narrative intentionality before every, every, every time you step up to the squat rack. Yeah. Right? This, this is going to make an, an investment into who I am next. Mm -hmm. Right? And just being really deliberate as you approach the bench. Right? And um, so, yeah, we can take this down right to uh, very small technical skills that we're working with every day. Yeah. So I want to I want to elaborate mm -hmm. or I want you to uh, uh, carry us a little further into this language piece, because we were talking about kind of like the grind and the hustle and some of this, you know, harder language that that is um, can put a lot of pressure on athletes. And I know one of the the uh, the areas that you've talked about is the evolution of language and, and specifically um, from mental toughness to mental mm -hmm. resilience, you know, and even in that mm -hmm. kind of, there's a dichotomy in the language there, right? Toughness is, is, you know, very much, I feel like in alignment with some of these, you know, this harsher language we were talking about and resilience has a different connotation. Mm -hmm. So what's that, you know, why is that 
uh, that shift in language important and what does that mean for athletes? Yeah, great question. I think high level, super overarching for me and very broad person to person, I'm really interested in people's mental health. And I'm really interested in sport and optimal performance states and success, you know, with outcomes. But at a, at a meta level, I'm really interested in, in athletes' mental health. And so I think there's an evolution in language. Um, and I think the, in the old days, the idea of just being tough and mentally tough, I think this perhaps has harmed some athletes. And, um, you know, and if you think of like a men's health issue, perhaps uh, broadly, this idea that we're born into a society that we're supposed to have this coat of arms and the shield of armor and we're not supposed to feel things like if that's not healthy for us men. Right. And, and so, uh, you know, sometimes working with athletes around mental toughness in the older days, olden days, if you will, um, <clears throat> that maybe took away from optimal performance states for athletes because they were burning out or they were feeling things and they could have been mental health things that they weren't sharing. And, and so that's not okay. I think for the broad arc, the broad trajectory of people's wellness. And so, yeah, I think it's okay that language evolves. And, and so I personally am trying to really work with this concept of resilience as opposed to toughness because, yeah, resilient athletes are, are able to persist and persevere through chaos, which sport brings us, endurance training brings us, events bring us. And, um, and, and uh, sort of the chaos that's involved in all that stuff has some very um, – important character traits you know one of those character traits is this idea that we have some rise to greatness some plateau where the greatness uh is enjoyed but then a very expected downfall an expected crash burn uh whether that's literal like we die right uh, or it's figurative like i balked in the race or a leaf fell off the tree there's this there's this crash and burn and and, and those things are expected. Athletes that see that those those events as expected, I think, are more resilient. Athletes who s see those events as kind of the world conspiring against them, and why did the race or organizers do this to me? That's sort of like a powerless, I think, response to chaos. Versus if we acknowledge that chaos is expected, it makes it easier for us to orient to the next part of chaos theory, which is rebirth, renewal, new beginnings. And, and that's what resiliency is all about, right, is, um, is orienting people to this renewal, whether it's in a race after you've had a bonk fest or whether it's in, in with your mental health, right? What, where's the new beginning? What um, the, the, the kind of, I mean, to, to stay on the language theme, the word that comes to mind for me is, uh, is, is vulnerability, you know, and it seems like mm -hmm. toughness attempts to kind of remove that vulnerability and, and resiliency um, has it in there. But what, what role does vulnerability play for athletes? I mean, how, how do they incorporate that? Yeah, great question. I think, I think um, vulnerability normalizes chaos. 
if we're trying to be tough through it, 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 it takes away from our ability to normalize it. So when it happens to us, we go into denial. That's, that's not a healthy state. Vulnerability is kind of where the magic happens, right? And of course, we know this now, thanks to the work of Brene Brown, who's done some amazing work out there in this realm. Um, and I like how she talks about vulnerability because when she first did her research on that, she realized I don't like this vulnerability stuff because <laughs> she's like, it's tough Texan or something. Right. Right. And, and so that resonates for me because no one likes being vulnerable. Right. But it truly mm. is when we turn toward that vulnerability that, that we, and when we truly acknowledge what's real for us, that when the growth and the healing and the magic starts to happen. I think a lot of the language that we use about where we're at is quite unconscious, perhaps, and maybe informed by past experience, whether it's, in my case, people projecting our identities onto us. So that might influence my language. I'm not smart in traditional school sense. Right. Um, and, and so I, I think we have to try to work to raise our level of awareness of where these sort of where, where are the seeds of these dis, you know dysfunctional irrational language that we come up with about ourselves um where do they come from perhaps a little bit and i don't mean where do they come from like in a freudian sense like sports psychology and mental performance consulting is not about digging into the past like that but it's just about raising your level of awareness of when those negative narratives are triggered so that we can uh, manipulate them a little bit. We can change them. We can be really deliberate about them. So um, I have three or four bullet point narratives that I prime athletes with for competition day. One of them is, or I'll tell you all of them, it's I've done the work. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Um, you know, I believe in my capabilities. Now let's go tear this track a new one, <laughs> right? Right. I've done the work. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Now let's have some fun and tear this track a new one. The fun part is important for me because it's, it, 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 I think when we're having fun doing what we're doing, I think it's easier, easier for us to enter a flow state, mm. right? So yeah, just to go back to that language piece a little bit. I've done the work. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Let's have some fun, tear this course a new one. Uh, hey everyone, uh, I recently came across a new product on the market uh, and I wanted to take a moment to share it uh, with our listeners. Uh, Access Nutrients has created a supplement designed to assist with better absorption of zinc, iron, calcium, and magnesium. Uh, this is a heavily researched and science-backed supplement that helps to break down the anti-nutrient phytate. Uh, phytate is present in things like beans, grains, nuts, and seeds. Uh, any product made from these foods, uh, such as pasta, rice, chickpeas, nut butters, whole wheat flour, cereals, etc., etc. Uh, so without the enzyme, the above-mentioned micronutrients are largely unavailable for abs absorption, leading to deficiencies. So without iron, our bodies struggle to transport oxygen. Without zinc, our body's immune system is impaired, and many enzymatic processes cannot function normally. So this enzyme has already helped a number of people that I work with uh, on the athlete side with better performance, improved energy, uh, anemia, fatigue, and other conditions. Uh, you can have a read through the research on their site for more information, but just trust me when I say that this enzyme could be a game changer uh, for many of you 
when it comes to optimizing your performance. Uh, I've been taking it um, for about two to three months now, and I've noticed uh, big changes in my recovery, my sleep, uh, muscular fatigue, uh, endurance, uh, my ability to fuel uh, more closely to workouts. So it really has been um, a really positive or had a positive impact on my performance. So, so for all of our listeners, um, you can go to accessnutrients.org and use the code THOMASENDURANCE um, to get 25% off uh, your order. And um, I think it's going to be something that you guys really like. I encourage you to try it out. Um, it's, uh, it's a really uh, cool product. I think it would be something that's very impactful for so many athletes and so many listeners of this podcast. So again, that's accessnutrients.org, code Thomas Endurance for 25% off your order. Uh, and let us know what you think. Um, it's been something that's been exciting for me to try. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. It really seems like, you know, it's um, it's challenging because there is a juxtaposition there in the sense that, mm-hmm. you know, athletes of any kind are, mm-hmm. there is a toughness there, right? There is like a grittiness, you know, you do, you embrace yeah. discomfort and, and you, it, it, at certain times you, you have to shut down certain parts of, you know, what your brain's telling you, what your body's telling you, right? So you can yeah. push forward, of course, in a way that's safe. But but that really flat is kind of butts up against vulnerability. You know, I, 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 that's um, how do we how do we balance those things? You know, when do we inject vulnerability and resilience with that real need mm-hmm. to to push sometimes and to to be tough, you know, or, or, or however you want to, yep. again, yep. there's a language piece there. There's some nuance, but yeah. yeah. What's, what's that? How do we find that sweet spot or when do we know when to do that? Great question. And, and I love peeling back these layers. Um, of course, there's no easy answers. I think maybe you look at mental toughness in two ways. Maybe there's, um, a capital T toughness where I'm working through injuries that I shouldn't be. Right. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, you know what I mean? And then there's small T toughness when, you know, yeah, that's grit. That's like um, putting up with physical pain, um, you know, to get stronger. Um, And, and so maybe, maybe that's a way to split hairs a bit on that, but I do get the juxtaposition and the duality that's created with wordsmithing like this, because it does create some confusion. Um, My beef, I guess you might call it, is when the idea of mental toughness gets in the way of our mental health. I firmly believe that sometimes we, we got to dig deep on the course and we got to be tough. We got to, put behind us mental, physical, emotional pain to get through a workout. Uh, but we also have to do that wisely. Another way to think of this, like from training to prevent injury perspective might be there's good pain and then there's bad pain. And if we're in that good pain realm, well, let's work through it because we know we're investing in our, you know, in our, in our process here. But if there's bad pain going on in our knee, in our back, wherever in our Achilles tendon, plantar fasciitis, then we gotta we gotta 
hold hold off. So yeah, maybe think of it like that. There's good mental toughness and then there's bad mental toughness. Yeah. Right. And that that sort of that that sort of filter of is it is this idea of being mentally tough getting in the way of my mental health? Then maybe that's not so so good. Yeah. Yeah, I love that just that the idea of like the little T versus kind of the capital T. I think that that really resonates mm-hmm. with me, you know, and I can see mm-hmm. clearly that because we've all been there, you know, like that. I, I, I know that th- there's even times as much as I, it's a very like practice what you preach type of thing, where as much as I understand and realize um, what I need to do, sometimes I still, you know, have trouble being vulnerable or, or, or sitting out when I know mm-hmm. I need to sit out. Right. And, and it's very much that like big T type of toughness that I know. And, and I, and, lo- and now I, mm-hmm. I'm, I can catch myself, but even then I'm like, ah, you know, like I went down that path. Yeah. I spent a little bit too much time trying to go down that path, you know, trying to force it, you know, and, and as a coach, I, yeah. I work to try to help athletes catch that too, right? Like, cut, you know, cut them off of the path, mm-hmm. so to speak. So I love that's, mm-hmm. that's a very easy, like I love that moniker that makes, that really resonates with me. And another way to look at it too is with some like trauma language. There's capital T trauma right? We want to avoid that. Then there's small T trauma that you could argue in a child development context, we want our kids exposed to some gentle versions of what we might call tough stuff, because it helps them build the ability to adapt and learn and maybe avoid that in the future, obviously without getting profoundly injured or hurt, right? And so there's a degree to which the small T trauma actually really helps us build resiliency over time because we get exposure to tough stuff and we realize that we become empowered knowing that we can get through it, right? Yeah. So same thing with working out like in endurance training is we're actually kind of looking for um, some small T toughness in there because we got to learn how to get through some tough stuff because we're about to run a hundred miler. Right, right. Yeah, that I mean, I, and I, that that perfectly encapsulates kind of that that duality that I was thinking Juxtaposition, about. Juxtaposition. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like you know, yeah, you, you there's going to mm-hmm. be some tough days, and you need some toughness, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's why you're mm-hmm. that's why you're uh, you know training consistently. But, you know, you're, you're looking for mm-hmm. small bouts of exposure to build that resiliency, mm-hmm. right? So that eventually. Um, but yeah, too mm-hmm. far in that capital T toughness is, is what we, that, 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 yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So the small, this, and just to, uh, you know, add one thing is those small boats of small T toughness, um, give the nervous system a sense of empowerment, knowing that we overcame it. And then we can use that to build on, to take on something a little bit bigger of a T toughness right. and so on and so on and so on until, until we can do something some really hard stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that definition of tough small T changes as we build resiliency, right? Like, I mean, you know, what mm-hmm. was hard today, if you stay consistent six months from now, won't be hard, mm-hmm. you know, or we'll feel different. Mm-hmm. So that, 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 exactly. t- that tough, changes over time and so i love it. and you know and that's the brilliance like that's what you know obviously like 
that's the adaptive components that are so, so, you know, fascinating from an athletic perspective is yeah. Mm-hmm. With consistency, that perspective changes, right? What, what, you know, what felt hard today is not hard next year. You know, if you, if you stick with it, exactly. Um, You, uh, you mentioned the nervous system though. And I, I know that you've um, you've worked a lot on the importance of regulating the nervous system. And, 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 Mm -hmm. and I, cause it feels like there's a component there, right? Like we, we can talk about, um, resiliency, toughness, but there, there is a very real system at play here that is regulating, mm-hmm. you know, how we move through these experiences, how we process them and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, what's, what is the importance of that? How do we, you know, how do we, how do we leverage that knowledge and, and these, these systems to, to help us be in a place that's more productive yeah, there's lots we could talk about there. You know, I think high level, our nervous systems are designed to, to to take on small bouts of stress and then have long periods of rest. But the way our society, it, it, you know, works in this place and space and time is that we put up with long periods of stress and have really small periods of rest. That's a little you know, backwards, if you will. So I think globally speaking, we need to be really deliberate in the society we live in to, to, to give ourselves permission to rest, right? To really rest and digest and recharge um, so that when the stressful events come up, we're energized to deal with it. Now, when you think of the context of race day or, um, you know, the rigors of training, Um, I think there's a real relationship in the nervous system for athletes between having a settled nervous system and a settled nervous system might be one that's able to enter this physiological state known as sort of like relaxed alertness. So we're relaxed enough that we can rest and digest and sleep and procreate and all those things. But we're also... um, alert enough that we could deal with something if it came up, right? This is a healthy nervous system state. So that settled nervous system. And so I think the athlete learning to, uh, you know, settle the nervous system at appropriate times, either pre-competition or during competition, um, could use a lot of amazing research strategies, uh, you know, from mindfulness to, um, Uh, you know, cognitive behavioral uh, strategies to actually get that settled nervous system state. Now, on competition day, that has to be uh, sort of uh, done in a way that also gets us activated. So the activated nervous system, um, when we're ready to kind of hit, you know, when the race gun goes off, right? So we got to be able to get into that settled nervous system yet at the same time, activate the nervous system on demand. And, you know, so, sort of mentally resilient athletes can do that on demand. Um, and, and so lots of strategies we can work with with athletes to either settle the nervous system or to activate the nervous system. Now, just as a back to that relaxed alertness state, 
there's a there's a other side of the spectrum of relaxed alertness from the within within the nervous system might be like hyper vigilant like kind of tweaked freaking out about every single thing going on everything with the diet every twinge in the body the the weather the delay on the course and all those things when the nervous system gets all activate or sorry uh, hypervigilant around that sort of stuff what it does is it opens the door to our, our distorting reality right and having irrational beliefs about what's happening so those are moments when we can recognize that that's happening in the nervous system we can go back to some strategies to settle that nervous system down so that we can get back to kind of focusing on what's in our control so this is just one little example of how I might work with athletes on um, learning how to regulate their nervous system. And I think there's great benefits to this on race day, but also in everyday life when you're having that conversation with your partner about the household economy or how we raise kids or those other stressful things in life. We can regulate our nervous system so we can actually get through the conversation wisely without slamming cupboards. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a... Uh... You know, and I, I, I mean, I, that's a great, um, I have, I have so often, uh, on this podcast and elsewhere made the, you know, uh, not necessarily argument, but just observation, I guess that there are, there are such direct corollaries between, you know, how we approach our athleticism and what that, how that shows up or how that enables us to show up in other areas of our lives. And I mean, that's just a great example. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, you know, do we, we can work on these things as it relates to our, to our race day strategy or how we uh, come into hard workouts or consistency or, you know, any of these areas. But, but in that, you know, we're also able to better regulate ourselves across the board, you know, be more mindful, be more present. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just Mm -hmm. think that's always a good reminder, you know, as athletes, we, can be guilty of putting putting our our athletic pursuits in in one box and then everything else is in another box right we're like well training's over mm-hmm. here my goals as athletes are over here um and that doesn't that doesn't impact the other you know 23 hours a day as i'd refer to it but it, mm-hmm. in fact if, of course mm-hmm. it does right nothing is in a vacuum mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and yeah i just i'm always searching for those opportunities to pull from my athletic identity and and my pursuit of my athletic goals ways to leverage those skills in other areas of my life you know and and I see it play out yep. for athletes who are really you have to invest in it you know you have to be willing to to make those mm-hmm. connections and 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 see it mm-hmm. kind of realized but yeah, I mean, I, I again just to... mm-hmm. and and Taylor, I I should mention like some of the more researched side of strategies that are designed to settle that nervous system down. Things like visualization, right? Uh, imagery, uh, narrative, creating that narrative of yourself succeeding at what you're doing. Uh, fo- focus type exercises, juggling. Um, um, other cognitive behavioral type exercises like tuning into sensory awareness, right? Because it's the senses that tell us what's real and what's real is you're safe and you're worthy of love and belonging. And as soon as the nervous system feels that it can settle. The other one would be breath work, right? 
um, you know, using utilizing uh, breathing strategies to lower your heart rate will also have big impacts on where you're hanging out in your brain state. <laughs> right. Because you want to, you don't like all the irrational thinking tends to happen in the front part of the brain. When we do belly breathing, our brainwave energy moves to the back part of the brain, which is when we're kind of in that relaxed alertness place as opposed to the hypervigilant. Right. Right. What, um, so, so those are some of the strategies that I might recommend people look into. Yeah. I, I have, um, I've really become interested in the breathwork piece. You know, I, I have um, just, I've been a little late to the game. I've known that it, it is valuable and I have, I've, you know, had, um, you know, on and off through my athletic career and, you know, through my life, I've done yoga consistently where breathwork was a part of that. And, but I've, I've since, uh, recently kind of retuned in to, to, to bouts of that strategically throughout the day to just help kind of recenter, refocus, deal with work stress, deal with training load, deal with mm-hmm. sleep. And mm-hmm. I, that, I mean, what's, um, is that an effective strategy or, you know, is it, is it like do it a couple times a day? Is it do it before a race? Is it, you know, I don't, cause I, I'm just kind of starting mm-hmm on that journey for myself to, to yeah. think about doing it consistently. And I'm just mm-hmm. curious what you're in terms of the implementation. What's mm-hmm. that, what's that look like on your end? Yeah. If you think of, and of course there's all kinds of different people out there in the marketplace, hmm. you know, slinging their opinion on that, uh, you know, and they're, and they're, they're talking about some neat ideas that you can do with it. You know, Wim Hof is one of them, right? Like mm-hmm. these cold plunges and really using breath to distract the brain from the pain of the body's feeling in the cold and the urge to jump out of the icy lake, right? Is using the breath to distract the brain. But let me back up and talk about mindfulness for a sec. Mindfulness is kind of the ability to notice what's happening in your brain without getting carried away by it. The ability to notice what's happening without getting carried away by it. Because if we don't take a minute to notice and just be the witness observer to something, um, we tend to get carried away by it, us humans. And so breath work is a great tool that we could be using moment by moment throughout our day um, to create a buffer between the stimulus, whatever's happening to us, and how we respond. And I was saying this to you the other day in the workshop. Um, you know, if you look at any sport, doesn't matter if it's a basketball player on the free throw line, um, a tennis player on the back straight doing their little bouncy bounce routine, a uh, football player about to take a snap, um, high jumper getting ready to, you know, do their footwork to do a high jump, um, endurance athlete at a nutrition tent. I could go on and on and on. Every single one of these athletes as a refocusing technique after that sort of match play, they use breath work to settle their nervous system. And by doing that, 
you're able to create a buffer between the stimulus. Holy crap, I'm shooting the, the last second shot here and the, the other team's fans are behind the hoop freaking out, um, creating a distraction for me. I'm able to create a, a buffer between all the stimulus uh, and how I'm going to react to it. So it's just you, the ball, and the hoop in this case, right? So breath work is quite magical that way because it's an amazing mindful tool that we can use um, to not get carried away about, by the predicament. And then we keep our, our brain power. We keep our wisdom. And the alternative to that is, um, you know, now we're kind of a headless horseman, I call it, right? Now we're really affected by what's happening to us and we're kind of maybe having a tantrum, right? So as a brief uh, sort of maybe takeaway from the podcast, back to your question, I would suggest a brief breathing exercise when you wake up to help you set a narrative intention for the day, right? So this might be one to three minutes where you sit up in your bed or on the floor and, 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 and simple, simply put, belly breathing four or five seconds in, four or five seconds out. Four or five seconds in four or five seconds out. Just doing that a few breaths, Taylor, lowers the heart rate. Just doing that. A f- I'll, and I'll do that with clients in my office here. And like in a few breaths, all of a sudden they're yawning and apologizing because they don't want to appear that they're distracted or falling asleep in my chair. And I'm like, no, it's great you're yawning because it sh- it's actually your nervous system showing me that you're entering this relaxed alertness place. And that's where you're malleable, you know. Um, so I would start with a brief, and by brief, I mean like one to five minutes breathing exercise. First thing when you wake up, four or five seconds in, four or five seconds out, set the intention for the day. Um, and I, I believe um, sort of mood follows action. So when you get busy with the action of the day, whatever that might be, work, family, exercise, I think the, the the narrative you create and the resulting mood that you create is is, is uh, self-explanatory, right? Then you may take a look at moment by moment throughout the day where stressors get you, and and how does your nervous system tell you you're stressed? It's in the it's in the body, right? Most people feel their stress and tension in their sort of neck traps, uh, jaws clenched. Uh, uh, toes are rolled over. This is something that I really watch for with clients that I work with. Are they sitting in my chair uh, in my office unconsciously with their toes all gripped, right? Um, If you notice those things happening physiologically in the body, those might be great moments to actually ground and find your breath. Um, The last example I'll give you, maybe nighttime, for those people who maybe have trouble falling asleep or you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep, also a great time to get back to your breath. Um, you know, four or five seconds in, four or five seconds out. There's some other variations out there you could look into. Square breathing is one of them. Um, neat, uh, neat exercise where you breathe in for four seconds, hold the breath in for four seconds. Breathe out four seconds, hold the breath out for four seconds and continue that for a minute or so. Um, And then of course, humans tend to be really bad at this mindfulness stuff. So there's some great tools out there 
um, you know, because one might, you know, be benefited by like a guided breathing meditation. So you can find this on the Calm app or the one I really like uh, is called Waking Up mm-hmm. by Sam Harris. Um, so, so those are some examples of how, how you might utilize it. Again, we want, when you're thinking of using breath in the brief, in the brief moment, it's because we need a refocusing technique so we don't yell at our kid or so that, uh, we don't go running after the person that cut us off road rage style or so that we can hit that basketball shot or so that we can collect our thoughts and know how we're going to get through the next 10 kilometers of the endurance race. Yeah. I, um, I've, I've found that it can be valuable, um, as a tool, like, uh, before a workout, you know, during, uh, like a brief warm up session, you know, because I think mm-hmm. my, myself mm-hmm. and, I, and I think a lot of other people, most people, right. You, you're running from thing to thing. And oftentimes you're, you're coming in pretty hot to a workout, right? Like it's after work and you got an hour and you got to pick your kids up or you got to be home or you want to be home mm-hmm. for dinner. You know, we all have these things we're juggling and as best we try to really, you know, carve out that time. I mean, it's still a lot of times pressure on both ends of that, of that time that we make for ourselves. And that, that shift in energy is, is profound, you know, and just like you said, a short, very quick, you know, just, just to be present of the energy that you're coming in with. You're like, Oh yeah, I am coming in hot. You know, Mm -hmm. I just got out of a meeting. I'm running literally Mm -hmm. to my, you know, to the gym. I got, you know, I just was in traffic, right. All the things that we were juggling and yeah, I mean, I've just taken to like during my warm up, you know, if it's just some activation mobility, you know, I usually take a few minutes or I always take a few minutes, just that, that breathwork integration there is totally changes the mood and the mindfulness Mm -hmm. and you don't feel so stressed you know you feel much i've found that i felt much more present and i can check in with my body and i can kind of helps me feel prepared and i'm not running hot when i start the workout right my heart rate's not elevated from a very like tactical perspective you're 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 yeah you can build into that effort versus like i'm coming in at you know 120 bpm right because i'm firing in all mm-hmm. cylinders and not you know i'm already i'm already wasting energy so I don't know. Is that is that um, is that a, is that a good time to implement that? I guess <laughs> I don't want to give bad advice. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. I think that would be a great time to implement it because again, the breath work at the beginning of the exercise or even before you step up to the squat rack, right, is in- encouraging you to be really deliberate and purposeful about the the, the exercise hour or the lift you're about to do. So, so for instance, on the technical side of things, if you are that headless horseman, you just rock up to the squat deck and start busting off, uh, you know, unconscious squats. This is how injuries happen, right? If you're coming back from an injury, you might go up to that squat rack really deliberately and purposefully uh, aware with some maybe some imagery around how you want your body to be formed and shaped in that exercise so you keep your integrity and and i think that breath work that you might do before each exercise even might really inform that outcome a little bit more deliberately and purposefully yeah yeah it's amazing how much and i found this 
I know it's present across all disciplines, but I've seen it show up more um, starkly in strength training with try, you know, attempting to do, you know, maximal um, compound movements, deadlift, squat, mm-hmm. things like that. That mind body connection mm-hmm. is critical where I've had personally, and I've seen it happen with athletes where if you lose it, it's, it's a do or a don't situation, right? I, I do get the lift, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I do lift mm-hmm. the weight or, or whatever, or I don't at all, you know? And so that just furthers mm-hmm. in those moments. It's really helped me realize like, oh man, this mindfulness is super important. Like if I'm not connected mm-hmm. and I don't take that time, like you said, mm-hmm. I just walk up or if I have a lapse in that mindfulness, if I can't stay connected, if I'm, if I'm mm-hmm. thinking about 20 other things and I'm mm-hmm. trying to multitask in my mind, it, it's the difference between success and failure, you know, which is, which is um, mm-hmm. as a student of the sport, when that's happened to me, it's been, you know, devastating and also one of the most exciting things is I'm like, holy shit, this is incredible. <laughs> you know, I can't believe how, that, how important that mental place is you know and i think and it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. it's, you know it's the same thing on race day right like you have to you have to really be in that space where you can um you can execute right? mm-hmm. it's so easy to get distracted so easy for that narrative to run away totally. from you um totally yeah i love that um yeah I think, and i think re- re- competition oh sorry go ahead no all you fire away no, I was just going to say, I think that there's also a distinction between like just doing this stuff on the daily and, you know, what we're going to do on race day and how we can, you know, come up with really deliberate exercises or deliberate narratives that are relevant to race day. Yeah. Right? Which is also another little element. Right. Yeah. Is, um, I know you, you've, you, you work with athletes and individuals to help them find their why, you know, and I've, I've talked about mm-hmm. the why the kind of, I guess, proverbial, um, a lot on this show, but I mean, I can't help but feel like there's a connection there between that mindfulness. Like if you are connected to your why, if you know what that is and you're confident in it, you believe it, that, that, that's going to allow you that presence and that mindfulness. And so, but like, if we back up, I mean, what's, what's that? Why, um, how do athletes get to that place? Cause I feel like so often, you know, they're, we're, we're still kind of running around lost, right? We signed up for the race because a buddy's doing it or we're, we jumped on the bike because our right. friend had a bike and our neighbor and we, you know, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like that could be a great gateway but that's a fleeting mm-hmm. that doesn't keep you in it right that's not sustainable it doesn't it doesn't build mm-hmm. longevity and so yeah if we mm-hmm. back up to some of these more foundational components what are some um how do we get there how do we find that why for for ourselves mm-hmm. great question it's a really high level question that i think all athletes um who are wanting to invest in um, you know, like a coaching program or signing up for a race need to consider this question. What is my, why, why am I doing this? Why am I getting up at five 30 in the morning and busting out an hour and a half workout before I got to feed kids and go to work? And so what's my why? And, um, and so, 
you know, for anyone listening, you know, this is something to really consider and think about. You may not have considered it before because you're just doing the race because your buddy signed you up for it. Um, and, and you got this old bike and you're going to give it a go. Right. And, and that, and your why might be, cause I want to reconnect with my buddy. Right. And if that's the case, great. Um, but I think all athletes really need to kind of consider what's my why. And, um, you know, talking with you a little bit, Taylor, in the past, I mean, you had this sort of, you shared your why, which was, uh, you know, what is my body capable of? Great question. And so, and, and I love that way that's posed to that question because there's kind of no end to it. Do you know what I mean? Right. You know, and so the why, yeah, you just keep going. And, and that's very in keeping with who you are and your brand and what you're trying to do at TEC there, right? So um, it's a great why to have. Um, and, and, you know, um, I think mine was kind of similar. I kind of shared when I was in the competitive zone, my why was more um, like I, I have this body. I've got this gratitude for this body that I have that allows me to do this. And, and so if I have this ability to, to do this, I wanted to prove myself deserving of it in a way. And so that was my why. And I think I shared with you that came, that quote came from a sort of famous Canadian named Terry Fox. And I won't take our time away from telling you all who he was, but very, very famous Canadian um, who is, is kind of <laughs> motivates a, a nation, even though he passed away uh, many decades ago now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he had this mindset of, I want to prove myself deserving of this life. And, and, and that was, that was always my why. Um, but I think we can also weave in our why to our mindfulness, right? Um, because it can, um, influence our narratives. It can influence our visualization. It can influence our deliberate and deliberateness and purposeness, purposefulness of a workout. Um, and so that's why it's important to really know your why, because you can, you know, it, it can kind of really, um, you know, weave into all parts of your training. I think I'm in a different stage of life now with kids. And, and I think one of my whys now, even as an old citizen type athlete, is sort of... Uh, I think kids kind of follow, um, you know, your actions a bit more than your words. <laughs> and so I want to, I want to show my kid, um, that these pursuits that we do give life purpose and meaning, right. And a community. And those are two like anchoring things that give us hope in life, right. Community and purpose and meaning. And, uh, and, and so that's, that's my why now is to kind of, um, you know, indoctrinate my kid into the sort of the, the joy of moving your body in nature. Yeah. That's oh, beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, um, I, I, I think, you know, I've, I've often said, you know, if, if I have no other, um, you know, kind of purpose with, with my chosen career path, it's to help as many people as I can, um, tap into their why, you know, because it, 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 when you do that, if you do that, it's such a grounding force, you know, and, and again, mm -hmm. I think 
hopefully you can, my hope, it, it, because I believe in the power of, of athleticism and, and exploring your body's capabilities, hopefully that, that why allows you to, like you were saying, and you know, like mine, it's never ending, right? You're like, oh, this is, mm-hmm. I do this and there's actually, this is going to carry me for the rest of my life. You know, I'm going to be able to mm-hmm. come back to this why in a way that I can engage mm-hmm. physically with myself and the world. And, you know, and even if you're not out there pushing yourself beyond the limits, right. Just having a physical practice where you are connected to that. Why? And there's some greater kind of good there, you know, that brings you joy and brings you some presence and mindfulness. And um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. well, I, uh, that is a, well, you're, uh, you're, 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 you're doing it, man. And that's a core vision or uh anchoring part of tec so well done yeah thanks i appreciate it well it's uh it it comes from uh you know fantastic conversations with people like yourself that keep my my passion fueled so thanks for everything you're doing and uh that seems uh that's a that's a beautiful uh high point to end on so i think we'll uh, we'll sign off there that sounds good taylor uh really appreciate the opportunity and and thanks for uh these in-depth questions thanks greg i appreciate it